yeah, I don't want to go to jail for anything. I'm much too, like, weak. And you're pretty. You are listening to the Stand Up Dads Podcast. This is heck of boring. Yeah, it is. Let's try again. Oh, you weren't recording? No. You should have recorded that. That would You could have taken something out of well, there. Yeah. Us. Oh, because we were making fun of you. You turned it off. Yeah. No. <laughs> Fuck. We've established I'm a fucking moron. Oh, no. Um, anyway, you're listening to Stand Up Dads. This is Rob. And Mike. And we have a very special guest. All those weeks I've been saying, hey, international dads, write to us. We finally got one. We got a good one. And I could not have asked for a better one. Is this Australian guy with a three-year-old daughter moved to Japan. He's and a journalist. A he's an author. Yeah. He's a, a public affairs specialist, a dad, an aspiring stand-up comedian. He's a cancer survivor and just an all-around interesting guy. His and name just is a, a superior dad to us. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd like to introduce and welcome aboard Ari Sharp. Yeah. Rob and Mike, it's great to be with you on behalf of all the dads across the world. It's awesome to be on the line. Yay. Seriously, I could this not have so asked cool. for yeah. I'm like, okay, he knows how to write and read. And yeah. And he's I, a dad yeah. and he does comedy, so even <laughs> yeah. better. Yeah, yeah now we're going right to go hang out with him. Yeah. Someone's going to accuse us of making you up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we had a little bit of a delay getting started because Samsung screwed us on the new note. Not us. Yeah. That's the, you. They took away the headphone jack <laughs> and they did a dongle thing, which I bought. And uh, Just like Apple. It doesn't work with my yeah. setup. And I just, yeah. It rarely works in my favor that something like that goes. And I was bugging you about it. Like, that's so stupid. And you're like, it's fine, man. It's fine. It fine. <laughs> it was fine. Anyway. It is not. <laughs> so let's go to the interesting part. So okay. Ari, tell us about yourself. Do you like a general rundown. Like, uh, where you I- I think you've you've covered all the key details. I'm a, an Aussie dad living in Japan. I've been here about two years. Uh, we have a three-year-old daughter, Amelia, who's doing really, really well. Uh, and we're over here with my wife's work. She's uh, actually a diplomat with the Australian government, so she's been posted to the Australian Embassy here in Tokyo. Uh, and I'm here as a diplomatic handbag or a trailing spouse. You can call it what you like. But honestly, it's the best job in the world. I can highly recommend it. Oh, my God. Uh, so I'm, I'm like writing of... it down. I'm like, <laughs> what? Yeah. This is a possibility? You may, want... you may have yeah. found the thing that will distract Mike from young women. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, hmm. Su- super yeah, successful <laughs> woman to, that I can just be the dad at home. I like it. Yeah. I want to do that. Exactly. Hit the jackpot. So looking after Amelia some of the time and doing a little bit of work as well for an Australian company. So I'm not completely uh, out of the workforce. But, yeah, the main main job is looking after Amelia. And it is absolutely awesome. In a city like Tokyo, there's just so much to do. You know, there's like 15, 20 million people in greater Tokyo. It's huge. Wow. So, you know, we're spending our time, we're at parks, we're at galleries, we're, we're big into what they call the Mama Chardi bike, which is like the Mama's chariot, but with us, it's a Papa Chardi. So it's that? like an electric bike. It's, it's an electric bike. So it's got a little, a little battery attached, like a little uh-huh. motor mm-hmm. and you oh. put your foot on the pedal and my gosh, it's like being Lance Armstrong. You just feel yourself <laughs> zipping along the road. Yeah, we're seeing those around here like too. <laughs> wow. They're a great idea. A, and then obviously a, a baby seat at the back. And I've seen, um, some people have one seat on the back, one seat on the front so you can carry two kids around. Oh, wow. but, uh, oh. We haven't put that to the test. That's a serious balancing act, but yeah, they, they hadn't really taken off in Australia a couple of years ago. I mean, just when I go back uh, in a little while to check out 
out whether they've taken off because honestly, it's the easiest way to get around. You don't work up a sweat. You can cover, you know, like <laughs> tens of miles without any problem. Wow. Uh, and it's safe as anything. And it helps that actually Tokyo is a really good city for riding because you can ride on the on the pavement if you need to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just knock a few, a few little old ladies off. Uh, that's that's no problem. <laughs> or you can ride on the road. Nice. Uh, but it's a very kind of safe, easy city to get around. So we're doing a lot of that. And there's so many cool, like Japan loves museums and loves galleries. So, oh. you know, we went to Yokohama recently where they've got the Instant Noodle Museum. It's like four wow. floors devoted to, to a cup of noodles. It's like a social history of post-war Japan through the lens of noodles, you know, about the, the guy who discovered them. He was this mad inventor in the 50s who was trying to work out how to freeze dry noodles and then have them defrost and then add flavor. And he had his eureka moment. And from that, he's built this billion dollar company and a museum dedicated to it. That's insane. So you, <laughs> yeah. So and, cool. Well, you mentioned another so, museum they have. Yeah, there. well, uh-huh. there you go. And, and appropriately enough, just up the road is the Unko Museum. And Unko in Japanese is poo. So they've got a, a big museum dedicated to poo. So, you know, poo-themed attractions and the science of poo. They're very open and honest about bodily functions here in Japan. There's no shame in that. You put it front and center. And the risk of being misunderstood, I've discovered the Unko Museum is actually spreading and that there's a second one that's opened up in Tokyo itself. Oh, wow. So it's like a franchise. Yeah. Wow, a franchise. <laughs> everyone's, everyone's in on the action. <laughs> I mean, what kind of souvenirs they got there? Oh, dude. I, get... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think you can make your own, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just lacquer and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and a keychain holder. Nah. Well, okay, so I mentioned that you were a journalist, and uh, you sent me an article. This is what started the whole thing off, and it was called Where Are All the Dads? And a really interesting read, especially, well, the first thing I saw that was different, you're talking about Incy Wincy. Over here, it's Itsy Bitsy Spider. Oh, um, okay. But totally superficial, <laughs> okay. but okay. it stuck with me. No, but it was... Because <laughs> I was like, what the that hell is That was actually Incy the main Wincy? point of the piece. I'm glad someone finally know, got exactly. it. <laughs> Nine-page paper, and that was it. <laughs> uh, no, I now I just feel like I just did this whole paper a disservice. <laughs> no, it was just... Talking about how in Australia, how well, shoot, you know this better than I do, but just the amount of single dads or dads that are the primary caregiver is really low compared to it feels like it's low around here, too, unless you're like separated or on your own. Like, but I mean, you gave me some, there were some stats on here, and it's like apparently there's more unemployed parents than stay at home dads. Oh, wow, which seemed like a real am I right there? I think it was like seven percent, yeah, 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 versus four percent. So yeah, you you're spot on. So the the starting point for me was when we were back in in Australia a couple of years ago and we had a, a an infant, and I was sort of taking on the primary carer role. and we'd go along and we'd you know go to places where there'd be lots of kids and parents, and there just weren't many dads. There were a few, but but not many, given that uh, Australia's doing pretty well for getting women in the workforce. So we've got more and more women working but not many more men are taking on that primary carer role. And so it just made me wonder, well, why is it so rare for, for dads to do it? Yeah. And so I kind of looked at what some of the experts were saying and looked at, you know, I had a chat to some of my friends about it and looked at some of the issues. And it, it kind of came down to part of the, the issue being just demographics, right? That if you've got uh, the traditional couple of an older male and a younger female mm-hmm. partner up, have a kid, their career's both progressing at the same pace. Well, the woman's the lower income earner, and so it makes sense for her to take the longer period of time out of the workforce. And then as you know, they have more kids and more periods of parental leave, then they fall further and further behind on the income 
comparison, and so that's just what you do. Yeah. But that's but even even that doesn't really hold up because you're getting increasing numbers of households where you've got women as the higher income earner, and you know I put my hand up for, for being one of those families. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, it makes sense in the long run for women to stay connected to their jobs, even if they're the lower income earner, because then their lifetime potential income will also go up. So it means that That's they can, true. you know, resume their career later on once they've finished, uh, you know, having kids. Uh, and so there's an economic argument for, in fact, you know, men taking more time off and women going in. But the other aspect is that I think that men's identity is so caught up in their vocation. Right? That question of what do you do? What is Which your I job hate. is so yeah. central to who you are. Yeah. And, yeah, I cringe a bit. I, I Whenever I bump into someone I don't know. I often ask them, you know, what keeps you busy? And yeah. just sort of give them that flexibility. Maybe they're studying, maybe they're working, maybe they're looking after kids, maybe they're, you know, off work, between jobs, whatever it might be. But open up that possibility rather than assuming that they're, that they're in work. Yeah. And so I think it's, it's, it's quite a confronting thing for a lot of men to not be the primary breadwinner in their household, to not be, you know, working hard, earning an income and having their spouse take care of the kids. And that's yeah. very difficult to break through. You know, once that's established a sort of a social norm, how do you change it? There's no easy way to do it. When Kim was working, she literally made twice as much as I did. And it made no sense for her to be the one standing at home. But that's kind of how it ended <laughs> yeah. up. But I have no problems with that. It's yeah. just I'm not. You know, one she thing wanted I, it though. That's yeah. the difference. It's not like I mm. think what we're talking about is like when when it's more so like yeah, you I know, mean, it's a decision where it's like made for them or something. It's but like she wanted to stay. You also touch on you know that whole. I mean, it's the same thing over here when people see a dad with their kid, like, oh, you're babysitting today, mm-hmm. which just makes yeah, me want to punch that, him in the face. Or they want to give you like an extra that award. Really I'll get the stuff where they're like. Wow, that's so great yeah. that you're doing that. And See, it's like, I'd rather well, yeah. get that yeah, yeah. than, oh, you're babysitting today? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, fuck you. Yeah. I'm watching my kid. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time, I'll yeah. get that extra thing of like, oh, you're just like, like because I'm out there playing with them a lot and stuff, it's almost like they're like, <laughs> it's like they like they like it, but they're also like, you're just like a, another one of the kids or something, you know? <laughs> And then, yeah, you're right. There's this perception that, that men aren't kind of the serious caregiver. They're just sort of looking after them until the ser- you know, until the mother comes home. But I, I really reckon that we've got to change the perception of, of for dads of being parents. And you guys are awesome at it. But it's a heck of a lot of fun. This is the dirty yeah. secret that no one talks about. I love going out and about with it's the It's so much fun. And it sounds fun, like yeah. you guys do too with, <laughs> yeah. your, with your rugrats. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not some plotting, you know, chore that you've got to do. It's awesome. And um, yeah. Yeah, I, I reckon we've got to get more dads sort of thinking of it that, in those terms. See, this yeah. is where I feel I, I'm feeling guilty because I don't necessarily have that much fun with it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and I love my kid more than anything. If he needed a kidney, I'd dig it out with a spoon right now. But I definitely enjoyed being able to go to work. I mean, I love the time with my kid, but there's definitely, oh, I need to get going. Sorry, buddy. You know, and it's yeah. just so and that, you know, brings up your other uh, yeah. your for blog. Me it, yeah, yeah, for me, it's like it's weird because like with me, I I would spend all my time with Oli if I could. But yeah. I, I see with like my with her mom, like we where we co-parent really well, but we both see where our weaknesses are and we're kind of trying to help each other with it. And one of the things she'll say is she has trouble being able to play like mm-hmm. to to like, you know, stop keeping everything moving and in order and, and actually play. Whereas I can just play and I can't bring any order yeah. or <laughs> control to the yeah. situation. While I'm playing, I'm thinking about all the shit that I still have to See, do. See, that's, and so your personality yeah. type <laughs> goes more towards hers and mine 
like we the perfect parent is in the middle. <laughs> like, yeah, you and know, but yeah, and then also, are you mentioned you know like the toxic masculinity, which is seems to have yeah. spiked up here for uh, some reason. It's ridiculous. Uh, it's really bad, especially where we live right now. It's like I swear I've never been around so many monster trucks. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <like laughs> just giant truck, and I'm in a Prius. I'll beep beep beep. Like, Still thinking like I'm winning because I'm getting sixty miles to the gallon. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, we're not looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how is it presented over there? I mean, are we, you know, because Americans have this perception of Australians of you know they drink and they fight and that's yeah. about it. And I know Which there's is, more to it. Yeah, and look, for some people that stereotype holds up pretty true. You know, there's a few <laughs> crocodile dundees down there. Yeah, <laughs> but that's probably well, it's certainly not the majority. There are there are you know big in cities and you know quite sort of urbane and. and metropolitan uh but yeah toxic masculinity is, is a big issue in australia as it is in the states and and elsewhere you know the, the big issue of the past couple of years in australia in that space has been domestic violence you know australia's had um some pretty disturbingly high rates of, of domestic violence and uh, and a lot of really horrible cases of, of women being murdered by partners and ex-partners and there's this sense of we've got to confront it you know mm-hmm. clearly there's yeah. sort of the narrow issue of you know targeting those people that are actually perpetrating it but also thinking about the culture that uh, makes that sort of thing more common and acceptable. And one of the one of the phrases that developed a, a lot of currency in Australia a couple of years ago was that not all disrespect of women leads to domestic violence, but all domestic violence is grounded in disrespect for women. That's oh, awesome. that's um, yeah. So that's you know, if you can challenge gender stereotypes and get kids sort of you know not thinking really narrowly about what men do and what women do yeah uh, it makes them less likely when they hit adolescence and adulthood to go and do those really disturbing things yeah yeah um, so i reckon yeah for, for parents of boys and for parents of girls that's a really um, healthy message to give them has yeah. the me too movement made it out there at all it has look we've, we've got a couple of sleazebag you know celebrities in australia who have been caught up in it we got a president uh, that's it, in it so yeah. you don't feel bad <laughs> yeah that should yeah <laughs> You guys are always trying to one-up us. No, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah we, we'll always beat you when it comes Jeez. to assholes. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Oh, and look, it, it is it is definitely an issue, but I think the domestic violence one is probably one that affects more people sort of at the grassroots. You know, and so that's the one that there's a big focus on trying to achieve change. One of the best lines out of that article was you said even the most unpleasant parenting task can become a thrill if it's framed the right way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which that's just... I need to tattoo it on, on, you know, on my forehead and look <laughs> at it all the time because, you know, and then you go on talking about, you know, the moms and the dads that are in the park that are just, you know, you're noticing the different parenting styles and, you know, over here, you know, cause I get to take my kid to the park and all that. And yeah. I notice, you know, moms and dads just head buried in the phone, just not paying attention to their kid doing awesome shit. Yeah. And I catch myself doing it sometimes, but then I snap out of it. Because what'll happen is I'll take the phone out to take pictures and then I'll get a message. And yeah. Then and I lost 10 it. minutes just like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's one of the ironies that there's all this fear of kids getting, becoming screen junkies or becoming obsessed with it. It's actually the parents and even the grandparents, I reckon, mm-hmm. that are. Uh, so caught up in it. and that's where you got to where you got to uh, really push back yeah the, the, i mean the, the thing i wrote about different parenting styles 
it was something I noticed at, at playgrounds where you had a lot of mums would be physically very close to their kids and would be kind of monitoring everything, you know, everything they were doing and they were mm-hmm. climbing on the on the equipment. And you'd have dads that would just hold back a bit and just sort of watch their kids from a distance and not be so hands on. And I think that was perceived as the men being a bit emotionally distant from their kids. But I actually think it's something different going on. I reckon they're letting the kids learn for themselves and make their own mistakes yeah, and discover things yeah, organically sure. rather than, mm-hmm. than, than being guided through it. Yeah. And I think we kind of, yeah, need to change the perception that these are dads, you know, not doing their job properly yeah. or whatever. They're actually just doing the right job, but in a different way. My yeah. wife and I uh, have and that's this. worth respecting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My wife and I have this fight every time we take the kid out together. You need to keep an eye on him. I am. You know, she'll like pop quiz me. Where is he now? And I'll just point. Yeah. Where is he now? Over there. He's on the tree. Why is he on the tree? Because he's climbing. It's like, yeah. why are you letting him climb? Because he needs to. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, he could fall. Yes, he could. Mm. Yeah. We have insurance. We can get... Oh, that was the other thing. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the parental leave, which that's foreign to Americans. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which is sad. Yeah, especially for men. It's almost like they... Yeah, I remember, you know, now I've worked from home and you know long enough that it's been a while but when i was at like the regular type jobs mm-hmm. it was it was pretty much looked at as like you're like what like if a mm-hmm. guy was taking time off you know yeah. i got lucky when olivia was born i was fully working from home yeah so i didn't have to bother with any of that how much time do they give you yeah. in australia and japan respectively japan i don't know a lot about so okay. i can't can't talk with much authority on that but in, in australia about 10 years ago we introduced paid parental leave so mm-hmm. uh new primary carers, so generally the mother, but not exclusively, uh, get, I think, 14 weeks at the minimum wage in Australia. Nice. And then nice. sometimes that's topped up by employers, you know, as like a perk for uh, staying with, with an employer. They'll, they'll give you an extra amount. Nice. Uh, and then we've also, we've also got effectively um, father's pay. Uh, so you get two weeks uh, at minimum wage from, from the government as a new father. And wow. a lot of employers will extend that or, or give unpaid leave on top of it. So I took four weeks when Amelia came along nice. uh, in 2016. Okay. Uh, and it was two weeks uh, at minimum wage from the government and then, yeah, a couple of weeks. What is the I minimum wage? Have to, have to sacrifice. Uh, it's, look, it's pretty generous by American standards, yeah. I think. Uh, I think we're up at, at uh, 17 or 18 Australian dollars. So it's nice. about 14 that's great. US, yeah, yeah. yeah and that's and that, and that goes up so with inflation and a bit more uh, every year. Very cool. Uh, but I'm gonna move. Uh, but what I, <laughs> yeah, what I like is what the what some Scandinavian countries do, where they have parents leave that has to be split between the two parents mm-hmm. if, if there are if there are two, and so there's a proportion of it that you got to use it or lose it. So if if the father doesn't take uh, you know an extended period, then the mother can't take it and it just disappears. Oh, and what's that? What that's done is kind of changed the default setting. So now the default setting is an expectation that fathers will take a decent period of parental leave when a kid comes along. That's and great. if they're not doing that, then that sort of prompts the question of well, you know, aren't, aren't you committed to your family or why nice. why are you making that decision? Yeah. Whereas the moment the default setting is that you'll be back to work within a couple of weeks and if you take more it's kind of like a sign you're not committed to the job or you're not committed to the, to the yeah. company and it's kind of a, a bit of a career limiting move yeah so yeah. it changes the conversation yeah and yeah people don't see it oh it seems like it's better than it was when like when i was a kid or something but yeah i i remember being when i was home it was sort of like but you're around all the time, doesn't that get? And it's like, yeah, we got. I got to be there for like mm-hmm. all of it, and it was super. Mm. Like I'm so glad I was able to be home. Like the first two and a half years or something, I was working completely from home and got to be there. And that sounds great. But yeah, it had crazy stuff where like we weren't smart with. You know how they would say like take turns yeah. staying up. We stayed up 
at the same time <laughs> so that <laughs> and then what happened is eventually my my ex would would tell me just go away because i was so tired that at one point i was trying to put a blanket into <laughs> like a drawer like a dresser drawer and she was like what are you doing and i was like i'm putting olivia to sleep like i was so <laughs> out of it <laughs> that i was like oh my god like i was totally hallucinating it was so crazy I don't know how, like, I do think, like, women get some sort of superpower off of it. Because it, it didn't seem to, like, make her crazy. It made her, like, every hour waking up just, like, taking care of it, back to sleep, taking care of it. And <laughs> me, it was like, I was, yeah, I was seeing things. Now, yeah, Kim and I, yeah. the first two nights, we were up at the same time, and we were going to strangle somebody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then we finally said, okay, we're doing shifts. And, you know, that worked out fine. Yeah. Yeah, so with Ari, he wrote, uh, he has a blog, and you can see that at arisharp.com. I'll post links to that in the show notes. He has he, a superior dad name, too, like Ari Sharp. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, it could be and like, I'm Mike Gray. Yeah. <laughs> Robert Gobea and Ari Sharp. Dang it. He wins again. <laughs> Well, you wrote one about um, your parenting theories before the kids get in the way. So your kid wasn't yeah. even born yet. And when I was ta I talked to you last week, and I totally was like, fuck, i got to step up my game as a parent. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm just phoning it in half the time. No, because you mentioned the goal that you want your daughter to argue her case. And yeah. Well, you go ahead. and you. This is your theory. So Yeah, tell me. <laughs> Yeah, but like, like you said, the setup is kind of important. That this was something I wrote about a month before Amelia was born, because I think all of us have got theories on what we'd like to do as parents. And now, when you have a kid, you can actually put it into practice. You can be like the evil social scientist, experimenting and trying different things. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I, I wrote a piece that was a whole list of things I wanted to do with with Amelia. This is before she even existed. Yeah. And one of the, one of them was yeah to to get her to argue a case, to be driven by evidence, to try to be as kind of rational as possible and so rather than her turning to her parents as like the oracles of truth and just trusting us instantly on everything we say i wanted to make a case so you know if she wants an ice cream at 10 in the morning rather than me just saying no straight away i want to say persuade me tell me why you should have it if you <laughs> like can make that. a case if you can make a case <laughs> that is good enough that i have no response to you're getting that damn ice cream but it's going to be a pretty high threshold i'm not going to give in easily that's but if good. I just say no, then she's not, you know, she's not developing that skill. She's not strengthening <laughs> that, that muscle. So you're going to have a really like smart that. fat kid. I like that. A smart fat kid. <laughs> I'll take it. If that's what I get, I'll take it. <laughs> but a genius. Yeah. I like that. No, but I but I heard that. I'm like, God damn it. I remember when I used to want to do that. Now it's like, because I said so. It's just it's <laughs> automatic. I want to talk to you in three years when the, your kid's my kid's age. Yeah. Uh, mm. But no, it's an awesome, but, you know, it's a good reminder to have. And I was glad to. Just... Yeah. And, and I reckon there's something in it for kind of the broader state of the world at the moment when there's so much misinformation and, you know, fake news and all that floating around. You need to have a pretty good bullshit detector. Yeah. Uh, and I think a kid that's that's pretty good at like sifting through evidence and making up their own mind and not being just driven by peer pressure or by what some figure in authority says is kind of important. We've all got to think for ourselves. And so why not start yeah. when they're young? Well, it's funny because, yeah. I mean, I'm going back to school now. I would like to be a history teacher. And that's exactly my philosophy on teaching is like get the kids to think for themselves. So tell me why I'm wrong or tell me why you're right. And then we'll, you know, work yeah. it out. And which we don't have enough of that. It's just, well, this is what it says. And kind of there's a lot of just blind allegiance in this country 
right now, and it's doing us no good whatsoever. So if we have a generation of kids that will actually fight, I think it's a wonderful mm. thing. Yeah. I know with Oli, that's one thing we, and I think we've succeeded, is that we just wanted her to be able to, like, use her voice and also to be able to, like, come back quickly and stuff so oh, she stands vicious. up. <laughs> yeah, she, but that's the problem is now she's so good at it that there's a bunch of times where kind of like without meaning to, Ari, like what you're saying, there's times where I'll be like, you know, you can't do that, whatever. And she'll hit me with some sort of like cut down or what, or just joke that's just like she wins just because of that. I'm just like, oh, all right. Like, <laughs> I'm like, you're going to get to just because that was a good one. Like, like oh, my God. Your like, wife is going to, your wife, your yeah. kid is going to emasculate some guy. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. The like, like the one she told me about. Yeah. I talked about that in another episode, I think, mm-hmm. where I said that she uh, asked me why uh, Melissa had to take my name. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, well, it's like an old tradition. You know, you you don't really have to, or you could blend the names like Auntie did, or, you know, I'm like, and I'm jokingly, I'm like, or, you know, you could make him, you know, maybe make him take yours. And she's all, he better fall in line. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> Ari, you had an interesting blog about that, about your child. All the name thing. Yeah, your daughter took your wife's name, right? Yeah, so we, we decided when Amanda was born that she did take my wife Melanie's name and there were a couple of reasons one of them was that we thought it just was a more gender equal thing for for any sons that we have to take my name and for any daughters to take Melanie's name so daughter came along and so she took that name and the other reason was that Melanie's family name was actually at risk of dying off Mm -hmm. uh, because there were only girls on that side of the family and they'd followed the more conventional style where their kids were taking on their father's name Uh, and so it was kind of going to be the end of the the end of the uh, the family tree really for that name uh, and so we thought, well, this is our chance to at least perpetuate it for another generation and maybe maybe more beyond that. Sure. That's badass. Uh, and That's it's worked really out cool. really well. And so, you know, it's not not too complicated to work out. You know, we're the, 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 the sharp Calvert family, so people can um, put that together pretty easily. And um, there hasn't been any confusion, any pushback. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's no right and wrong way to do these things. I can see why people take, uh, take the more conventional approach, but this way it's worked for us. Yeah. When I got married, I told my wife, you know, before we got married, that I'd be okay with it if she kept her name, and that pissed her off. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny, man. It's like, why don't you want me to have your name? <laughs> what are you up to? What are you up to, Bob? <laughs> we were married in our late thirties, so Hilarious. it was okay. like you're an established. You know, you have a career. You've mm. got your name <laughs> out there. I totally understand yeah. if you want to keep that. She's like, no, I'm gonna. You know, I'm like, all right. And I know it's a pain in the butt to what do it. What are you up to? I like that. <laughs> but yeah, she's like. <laughs> Do you not want to get married? Why don't you want me to? I just... uh, That's hilarious. It's a real... Yeah. It's a real issue here here in Japan. They actually uh, make it a legal requirement that when people get married, they need to take on a single name, and it's almost always the husband's name. Wow. Uh, and so women aren't, aren't allowed by law to keep, to keep their name. There's a bit of a different rule when there's a foreigner uh, marrying a Japanese, but when it's two Japanese marrying, they have to have a single family name, wow. which is just crazy in this That's day and age. crazy, yeah. yeah. It's I mean, always very yeah. steeped in tradition over there. Yeah. Yeah. Pooh Museum is notwithstanding. So, as I mentioned, uh, Ari's a, an aspiring stand-up. And yeah. You're associated with Stand-Up mm. Tokyo. That's so cool. And at first, when he said this, I was like, holy shit, I could not go to another country and do stand-up in their language. But that's not the case over there, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Stand-Up Tokyo is an English-language comedy uh, group. 
here in Tokyo. Uh, so it's 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 an interesting mix of expats and local Japanese who are speaking in English. Uh, and they do open mic nights once a week, which I go along to. And so I've just dipped my toe in the water with that. But there are also more established comedy nights at bars and pubs where some of the, the comics are a bit uh, further in their career. Uh, and uh, big names come to town. So we had Chris Rock uh, come to town last year. Nice. Jim Ooh. Jeffries has been to town. So there's a few uh, high-profile names that come here. Yeah, and so it's it's a lot of fun. I you know I grew up watching stand-up comedy. I grew up in Melbourne in Australia, which hosts the, the International Comedy Festival each April. And so we get like hundreds of comics coming to town. And every every teenager in Melbourne you know gets to watch a fair bit of comedy. Nice. Uh, wow. and so I'd seen it for years and years and never really thought that I could get up there and do it. But then they ran a, a workshop here in Tokyo in in May and I thought yeah I'll go along learn the basics of you know awesome. stage technique and mic technique and how to structure a set and how to structure a joke so now I just do kind of yeah five minutes uh, once a week on the open mic night eh, it's okay you know I'm not getting huge laughs but I'm having fun along the way yeah that's... yeah and it's 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 huge to go do it that's the thing I always felt was like just getting to do it you respect so much more like like when I go and see comedy it changed how I watch comedy because then it's like you know how hard it is even to get up there and then Mm -hmm. and then try to make it work and then and then learning that no matter like your set could be exactly the same at one spot and kills Mm. and another one and people are like you suck you know (laughs) no it's just you (laughs) yeah dang it (laughs) well yeah i never did well at like the when it was a really like a younger crowd it was always like or like a you know just like a like a little bar late at night mm-hmm. midweek those are the ones where it would go that shit well like, i noticed yeah like this like what's the age range in your at stand up tokyo oh uh, we've got uh anything from early 20s to some guys in their 40s and 50s but mm. like if the majority would be most most are in their 20s okay, okay. so it's like That's over the, here the sweet spot cuz i have a rough time cuz i have my parenting comedy and i have just the filthy crap that just comes out of my head (laughs) and uh like we do the gag on this and there's an open mic after that and when i stick around for the open mic it's all the 20 year olds my parenting stuff doesn't go over there well yeah because they don't get it yeah shoot i mean half these jokes apply you know they're on the other end of that yeah i don't know so it's rough to focus on it because i'm not the i don't know i guess i am a filthy guy but well i saw uh, like a facebook post i was all mad about <laughs> and it was one of the guys we had met through gang on this that was a young guy and he had posted like grew you old man in your 40s that was mad at my set <laughs> uh because i swore in front of your daughter and you flipped me off like screw you in your cargo pants and i was like Hey, I like cargo pants. I have a daughter. I would have flipped you off. And then after a while, I was like, oh, I don't want to spend my time right. Like, it wasn't no. worth it to write back, but I was just like, I was triply offended by that. Like, and I was, no. yeah, like, why are you mad? But it was totally, yeah, the whole thing of just being that young that you wouldn't. Don't take your eight year old to a comedy show. Well, that's the thing. It was at like a coffee shop. So it wasn't at a bar, and it probably wasn't, you know. know. I remember having Frank the Tank when he was up here. He had a show at this uh, Chinese restaurant, and uh, I got to go on there, and it was like at 3 in the afternoon. And I thought, (laughs) this is strange, but okay, I'll do it. (laughs) 
And I was, you know, I was all set with my normal filth. And then I noticed, I'm like, oh, people are coming here after church. Oh, people oh, are bringing their no. kids. They're like, oh, yeah, you have to be clean. I'm like, oh, crap. So I had to like whip up like five minutes of clean material. Like, yeah. Not fun. <laughs> but you got to, yeah, you adapted to the crowd. Oh, like, come on. Like, you, you they were be able to do anyway. that. Yeah. But, you know, it was funny. You mentioned like Jim Jeffries had gone to, gone through Tokyo. And I asked you, Oh, yeah. Australian. You guys know about him, right? <laughs> he is almost unknown in Australia. He's huge in the up. States, from what I can tell. Yeah. But, and he's unknown uh, he, there? What? Pretty wow, much. Wow, wow. My theory is that he's he's too Australian, and Australians don't like comics that are kind of like mm-hmm. the worst reflections of themselves, that are kind of stereotypes oh, overplayed. Okay. You know, we like ones that are kind of how we, you know, like aspirational Australian, yeah. kind of, you know, a bit more kind of cosmopolitan and more kind of slick and cool. Oh, okay. uh, so they're the comics that do well in Australia, whereas the ones that are a bit, uh, a bit coarse, a bit too Australian, uh, we just don't buy it. It's like no one <laughs> in Australia drinks Fosters. No yeah. one drinks Fosters in Australia, but it's huge everywhere else. Yep. And we love Fosters and abrasive people. Uh, no, but you mentioned yeah. a few, like Hannah Gatsby. I saw her, some of her stuff. She's very smart. Yeah. Well, actually, just this week, she picked up an Emmy Award. It was huge. Awesome. She beat Beyonce for an Emmy for, wow. for her, her, her Netflix special, Nanette, which is uh, an amazing... It, it's comedy. It's sort of performance artist. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. It's I got to watch that. Check it out. Oh, okay, it's really yeah. cool. And then you mentioned uh, Will Anderson. I guess he spent some time in Australia. Australia and he had some funny stuff about that. And that's where I learned about baby chinos. What are baby chinos? <laughs> What's that? So baby chinos are cappuccinos for little kids. So when you're going out to a cafe, <laughs> uh, basically froth milk. No caffeine, no coffee, but a froth milk and some uh, chocolate sprinkles on top. Baby uh, chinos. So that, you know, when, 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 when mum and dad are having a cappuccino or a cafe latte, uh, you know, little Bubba can have a baby chino. A bit on the pretentious side. Though. Sure. But it was I was watching one of his sets and I couldn't get through it because I'm going, what the fuck is a baby? Because G-? I thought he was saying baby Gino. <laughs> Who's baby Gino? <laughs> I'm like, what the hell is this? That's um, hilarious. And uh, let's see, another one was Adam Hills, who did a funny sign language bit. And just I don't know. It was just really, and they were like you said, you know, more. I mean, they're not like esoteric or it's just, but it wasn't just dick jokes or anything like that. It was just more. There was some thought put into these. Yeah, I was going to, I mean, Adam Hills is probably one of my, um, you know, comedic, uh, you know, role models, someone I really look up to because he, he does incredibly funny stuff, but it's thoughtful and it's it's kind of inclusive. Like you're bringing everyone along for the ride, mm-hmm, you know, it's cool. not so ugly and divisive and it's not the really cool stuff. Like I don't think he works blue at all, but he just does really kind of fun, engaged stuff. You, you, you can't help but smile and enjoy it. Um, yeah. yeah, you're a mean asshole if you don't really. It's <laughs> that sort of comedy. You're a mean asshole. Did you ever figure out what's <laughs> That's up awesome. with it? Did you ever figure out what's up with the Union Jack on his head? Yeah, I think you're right. So so one of Adam Hill's little details is that he ha- has only one leg. So he's mm-hmm. sort of identifies very much with the disabled community. Uh, and I think you're right that he had a bet with uh, a British disabled comic over the Paralympics uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, and Australia did quite on. poorly then. So, yeah, so I think the deal was that uh, if he lost that bet, he had to uh, get a Union Jack in his hair. Uh, and so, sure enough, that's how he's been performing for a little while. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, he had a funny joke about his, because he has a blade instead of like a prosthetic, or for a prosthetic yeah. foot. And he's like, yeah, and I was all excited because it's the same as that Pistorius guy, the South African guy. And then, of course, shortly thereafter, he kills his girlfriend. <laughs> oh, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> damn it. Uh, <laughs> I think that's a good segue into the bad dad. Oh, uh, yeah. 
So we went international in your honor. Thank you. <laughs> this uh, article is called, it's entitled, Japanese Boy Abandoned in Woods as Punishment Tells His Father, You Are a Good Dad. What? Uh, <laughs> let's see. You are a good dad. Uh, let's see. Bruce Yam- Yamato Tanuka survived alone for six nights after what? being left on the side of a mountain on the island of Hokkaido oh on May 28th. His father said his son accepted his apology and called him a good dad. Yeah, the boy said, I was wrong because I didn't listen to what my dad was saying. You heard good dad, I forgive you. Um, By that point, you'd say anything. I'd be like, (laughs) yes, you are the best. (laughs) Please, 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 God, get me in the car. (laughs) Yep. Um, That's not cool. The kid was left on the side of the road as punishment for throwing stones at cars. His parents drove away and the lad cried so much he became disoriented and ended up walking in the wrong direction. Oh, my God. Uh, He walked for about five five hours and was in complete darkness. And he found a military hut about four miles from where his parents had left him. And he drank water from an outside tap. Dang, he survived. And let's say, uh, yeah, six days. He lost about four and a half pounds. But yeah, but then I was like, what the heck? Why would you say that about, you know, why would you apologize to your dad? Well, yeah, because apologies and forgiveness have kind of special significance in Japan, right? That, you know, people in public life who really screw up badly, like, you know, they have to sort of humiliate themselves to sort of show an apology. And you even do get ritual suicide. It's not a completely unknown thing for people that are so apologetic for what they do that the only thing they can do is is to kill themselves. And then to to forgive someone, to accept that apology, holds real weight. Uh, and so I reckon, I don't know for sure, but that this little guy kind of melt, might have felt that he had to accept his dad's apology and to forgive him. Otherwise, his dad might have been absent from his life, um, um. you know, or, or not, not able to sort of move on from it. So there's kind of special weight attached to it. The other thing that jumped out at me reading this is that Japanese kids are really, really independent. Like this guy is not an isolated example. Maybe, or maybe that extreme. But yeah. you know, often <laughs> yeah. I'll see like five, six-year-old kids who'll be walking to school, crossing the street, catching the bus on their own. Like here, there's an expectation that kids can can go and fend for themselves. Like you wouldn't be doing that at age ten or eleven in Australia, but at Mm-mm. five, you know, you can be out there. And I think part of the reason is that the streets are so safe here. There's almost no risk of street crime or pickpockets or anything like that. Uh, and kids are pretty kind of savvy and aware. They can they can fend for themselves. But uh, yeah, this is kind of taking it to extremes though. Six days out in the forest. And and yeah, the idea that it's that safe because here, like, I don't know if I brought it up. We did here. last week. With the garbage can out here? Oh, no. Oh, yeah. When we moved in here at my apartment, Ari, yeah. I was like, oh, maybe I'll start letting... Because I, I like to let Olivia do some stuff and, you know, I'll stay mm-hmm. back, like you said, but I'm going to let her, you know... So I'm like, maybe I'll let her start taking the garbage out here. Mm-hmm. But I took it out. I throw the garbage in and a guy pops out and goes, <laughs> hey! And I'm all, hi! <laughs> and he's like, man, yeah, I'm in here. And I'm like, why are you in there? <laughs> like, what the yeah. <laughs> I took on like I'm like she's never going in there again. And it's like just turns out that our neighborhood, although the apartment complex is fairly safe, around there's just a lot of guys that are going around that are you know living around on the streets and stuff. But yeah, you'd, just you'd, would not be prepared for that. Yeah. You'd found Oscar the Grouch right there. Oh mm-hmm. my god, man. And was so mad. It's just yeah, we both were like, ah <laughs> like, just that that's the thing. That's what sticks in, I don't know, at least in my head where I'm like, I'll let her have some room, but it's usually I still gotta stick around to to be yeah. even if she doesn't know I'm there, just because that stuff's in my head. And we yeah. have you know, it's just it's not a safe here. For sure. Well, well, you also brought up, uh, there was an interesting nickname that uh, kids have for their dads in Japan. Yeah. So 
Uh, it's not so much now, but a couple of decades ago, a lot of kids used to refer to their dad as my Sunday friend because that was the only day of the week that they'd ever see their dads. Oh. You know, the, the stereotype about salary men working so incredibly hard, it's true. You know, they put in astonishing hours in the office, you know, early starts, late nights, working weekends, uh, you know, out sort of entertaining clients or the boss. And so a lot of kids would just never see their dads during the week except for that one day of the week. Uh, so I think things have changed a bit now. I think there's a bit of a pushback against that and a lot more dads are being hands-on and kids are spending time with them. But, yeah, for a generation of generation of kids, that's the only, only time they saw their dads. Oh, but. my God. That's like the saddest golden book ever. <laughs> my, my Sunday friend. Uh, so now when you take your kid to the park now, do you ever see any dads in Japan uh, we, with their kids? Yeah, we see. We see a few, particularly on weekends. You see a lot of dads doing the hands-on thing. Mm -hmm. uh, not so much on weekdays. You know, like I'm involved in the, the, the parents' association a little bit at uh, my daughter's preschool, and it's mostly mums that are involved in that. Got it. Um, so there, there are a few. I think things are slowly changing. I think also you've got better job security now than you've ever had. So mm -hmm. a lot of men are feeling that they've got a bit of a right to push back against the boss. And rather than just seeking more pay, they're seeking more more time out of the office, you nice. know, living at a sensible hour, not having to work weekends. Because, you know, un unemployment here is almost non-existent. It's a two and a bit percent. So wow. men have got a bit of bargaining power and they're using it well. Nice. Um, That's great. So, you know, I think things are slowly changing. And actually an interesting one, uh, a new cabinet minister, uh, he's 38 and he and his wife are expecting their first child. And he said that he would be taking parental leave. So nice. he's, you know, a government minister, really senior figure, and he's kind of setting an example by taking a big period of leave to be a hands-on father. Yeah, so you get a few role models like that coming through. Yeah. Very cool. Now, are there a lot of single dads out there, or, or is it still kind of kid goes to the mom? Yeah, gen generally the, the mothers will take kind of either the lion's share or all of the, the parenting duties when uh, when families split up. I think there's still yeah a bit of an expectation that the dad's going to be the breadwinner and that it's going to be hard if you're a single dad to combine that with uh, with you know being hands-on with the kids. Mm. There's not an especially high rate of divorce, and, and a lot of people, if they do, they, they tend to partner up again pretty quickly. Got it. Um, that's sort of the, the cultural tradition here. Oh, okay. So uh, they yeah, someone else. Yeah, often. So you, you have quite a few blended families and things like that. How about in Australia? Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a, a hot issue in Australia about uh, what should happen to the kids in the case of a divorce. I don't know exactly what the latest is in, in the, the law, but generally I think it's split evenly between the parents unless there's a, a sort of a, a good reason not sure. to. Uh, there is there is a father's movement in Australia that argue that they're getting a raw deal and that the court system is stacked against them and that, you know, mothers are getting too easy a ride. I'm, I'm not convinced by those guys. I think some of them, you know, there, there are probably reasons why they're not getting great access to their kids. There's yeah, a movement know, like and, that here as well. Yeah. You know, I, I, I reckon they're going through some tough times and I can understand they're feeling really frustrated, but uh, I, I reckon the courts probably most of the time get it pretty right, you know, and they've got to look after the kids' welfare. That's got to be the biggest priority. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm on a bunch of dad groups on Facebook, and I see a lot of the dads going out, going to court today, and I haven't seen my kid in two years, and oh, stuff like that. And it's just yeah. heartbreaking when it stuff. Goes bad like yeah. that, it's not of course, cool. we don't know the other story. It's like, well, is yeah. it because you were beating the crap out of your wife and kid, or was it yeah. just because that's just the way the system stacked? And it's also different different parts of the country. I guess okay. we should probably wrap up. AriSharp.com for... His website, you have a book about, should I have had it written down? Uh, the book's going to be a big stretch for this podcast. I'll tell I you what, know. this is all about doing business in Indonesia, which was uh, from about six years ago now. If you're very keen on hands-on parenting and doing business in Indonesia, this is the book for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Risky business. 
how Indonesia's economic nationalism is hurting foreign involvement and pe- investment and people. Yeah. And it's still in print. That's freaking uh, cool. But, and it seems like, I mean, it's not something I would be... It's, it seems like an interesting story, but I couldn't see myself reading the whole book about it. But um, Yeah, it's a bit of a niche topic, I think. What exactly yeah. is economic nationalism, at least in the way... Yeah, uh, so uh, look, seriously, on the book, uh, it was all about the experience of foreign investors who are going there with huge expectations. Indonesia's got a massive population, 250 million people, mm-hmm. natural resources, uh, big middle class. Uh, but the system is really makes it very difficult for foreign investors. The court system is stacked against them. Infrastructure mm. is terrible. The political system is sort of looks after you know big big donors and you know big local companies. Uh, so the economic nationalism is all about like claiming you know resources for the state and not allowing uh, foreign investors to get uh, involved you know <laughs> creating local monopolies for like you know telecommunications it's quite difficult for foreign companies to get in and the, the outcome is that local people have to accept second class services they don't get great uh, returns on on their resources because uh, the state's basically looking after its powerful friends Got rather it. than looking after 250 million people. So it's good for Indonesia, uh, just bad for everyone else. Yeah. Well, yeah. Even then, it's 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 good for an elite within Indonesia, but okay. it's ordinary people that miss out. That's what I'm arguing. Got um, it. You know, so a lot of poor people would be better off if there were foreign investors in there who could provide a decent telco service, so who could make sure they get full value for their gold and for their oil and for their gas. But they don't. They get you know heavily discounted rates, and it goes to friends of the government. Well, if you got some money burning a hole in your pocket and you want to invest in Indonesia, read this damn book. Uh, <laughs> is there anything? And you, you can catch yeah. me. You can you can catch me on Twitter as well. Uh, I do all sorts of things on Twitter at Ari Sharp. There we uh, go. Is where you'll find me. Very cool. And I, and and I'm getting to see right now like the extent of addiction to like devices right now oh yeah because your Olivia's daughter can't get to the phone olivia's come it. out and is having a fit because i all i can guess is that the switch died she came while we're talking and we're using the phone to talk with you tried to disconnect the phone so we're both both of us made a look all and then she ran away all, now she's all why don't you talk here say something tell us tell us what life is because i just saw you try to grab that old that's not even before they called it a fire tablet. It's like the <laughs> oldest Kindle that doesn't work at all. And you went and grabbed it and She's walked away like desperate like for electronics. De- like you had a dead puppy with you. You're like, oh, I guess I'll try this. Maybe if I pray to it. Here, talk, say something. Well, my, my Nintendo's not dead. It's just I want to play with my toys and I want to watch something. And you have the phone. Okay. You have my, I have my phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right Your phone. we gotta let you out all right we'll uh, be back <laughs> um anyway subscribe to our podcast uh, you can find us anywhere you get your uh podcasts we drop new episodes every sunday if you need artwork mike this always goes poorly it's go. uh pencil for hire.com so pencil for hire.com it's also pencil for hire on instagram <laughs> Get my side project uh, gag on this podcast. We record every Wednesday at 5.30 up at Blacktop Comedy Club in Rockland. There's an open mic after. We interview local comics, have a great time doing it, and sometimes we actually stick around and do the open mic after. Come see how not funny I really am. And uh, Ari, thank you so much. Yeah, thank uh, you, Ari. This has been a pleasure, and actually I wouldn't We gotta mind. do this again, yeah. I was gonna say, I would like to have you on if we haven't pissed you off enough. Uh, <laughs> You've pissed me off just the right amount. Beautiful. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Mike. Really <laughs> Thank appreciate you so it. much. <laughs> and we will talk to you guys next week.